Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Y'all wanna hear some electrical guitar? I give you the man. All right, everybody, welcome back to a special bonus episode of Chasing Frets. My name is Jason Shadrick, and I had to call in two ringers uh, today to help us celebrate uh Eddie Van Halen, who we lost earlier this week. And I have here Matt Blackett, uh, formerly of guitar player, and George Tripps uh, of Dunlop. How are you guys doing? I'm fine. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm still processing this whole, the whole, all of it. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's, that, it's that week of, like, regular life goes on, and, I'm, and then, then I start going down the Van Halen rabbit hole and either getting sad or getting excited. And yeah, I'm happy to be talking to people who get it because I've found that my discussions with people who don't get it have made me sad this week. This is this one hurts the most for me. I I'm older than you guys, and so I went through John Bonham and Bon Scott and Keith Moon and John Lennon and then Randy Rhodes a couple of years after that. This one hurts the most for sure. He was my guy, my favorite guy of all time. And what we heard on the intro there, I originally I had a different version of a live bootleg version of Eruption, but at the last minute, George came in, literally right before we were going to hit record, and he dropped this this version on me that everybody heard in the intro was from the Pasadena Civic Center, nineteen seventy seven, and and you guys are far more schooled uh, than I am in the in the real early stuff. But tell me a little, George, about what was it about that that 77 show that really struck with you. No, the, that, that civic recording, there's actually an LP floating around and I don't know. I don't remember when I got it. I've had it for a long time. Uh, and it just, it has all the great Van Halen stuff. It's just, they literally just been signed. Cause I think at the end when they start, you really got me, I think it's Ed or Mike, somebody, I can't tell someone can, can, can who's even more schooled on this can say, but you know, they, they thank Ted Tubbleman and, you know, and Dave goes into this whole thing, you know, I've been waiting a long time to say this and this is off our first album, you know, and it's like, it's just a great uh, tutelage of Van Halen. He does a rupture and he does all that stuff. And, and, and the tone is right. That, that, that tone that we all know, cause you know, one is so different than what any live recording or two or the rest of the rec- records really sounded like. Mm-hmm. One has that extra, gain from you know the reverb and the mics and the, the desk and all that it's it's just it's it's different and that is an amazing version of eruption and when i really went down the van halen rabbit hole back in the napster days 
I got as many bootlegs as I could find. I got every live recording I could find. And I, I don't know where it is now because I think it was like three computer crashes ago or something. But um, <laughs> I swear I had a version of Eruption that didn't have any two-hand tapping in it. Have you heard that, George? I think so. Uh, uh, I mean, I have a number of versions and, and I'm sure there's tons more. But uh, yeah, I think there is an earlier one. I kind of remember hearing something like that. And it's sort of like the missing link there uh, when you're doing this Van Halen archaeology, where it's if we could pinpoint the date on that, that might very well be when he developed that technique. And you guys may well on the, know on this. the Gazari stuff. I, I mean, which is supposed to be you know from before all that. I don't know if I hear much of that. Like I think I sent you guys another mm -hmm. clip from from that stuff. Him playing, uh, they're playing uh, some James game. Yeah, yeah. Walk away. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, the, on the tapping thing, um, I talked to George Lynch about that, and he referenced a Harvey Mandel show that both he and Ed were at, and mm -hmm. Harvey was tapping there. And I said, do you think that's where Ed got it? And George goes, well, that's where I got it. <laughs> and I said, did you and Eddie ever talk about this? And he goes, no, I don't think so. Okay, how do you not talk about that? But for me, that I, I, I love trying to figure out like, okay, who was doing tapping before? Because plenty of people were. Yeah. Just none yeah. of them changed the world with it. We know who changed the world with it. Right. Well, so, and, 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 and it's really a combination. And this is the thing, everyone, that's oh, tapping. It's like, no, no, it's, it's just everything. You know, Cause you talk to guys like uh, uh, Rusty Anderson who plays with Paul McCartney and he came by and I've known, he played my high school prom, but Rusty's band eulogy would open up for Van Halen. You yep. know, so they, the, and it's like, he had it all going on. It was just a combination. And we've all read the, you know, the stuff about Randy Rhodes and him and going and seeing each other. And it just it had everything, you know. And then the tapping, I think, just was that extra, like, whoa, you know, he shoot lasers, mm -hmm. you know, because he had amazing tone that was just killing. And, you know, cool style. He's doing these crazy guitar things. He's, you know, it's like just complete weirdness. I can't imagine what it was really like. Because, you know, Van Halen was already around and established by the time I got into guitar. So, you know, I can't imagine being, you know, I have friends that were around, you know, like when Van Halen's record dropped and they're like, what the hell is this? So what uh, I was, uh, I kind of missed out on on the real, uh, I was kind of a little young to go see them uh, live too much. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see them live really at all. When was the first time you saw them live, George? Uh, you know, again, I was too young. I, I wanted to go desperately with my brother to the US Festival. And he went and he saw Van Halen at the US Festival. I didn't see him until, you know, 86 with Hagar. Because, you know, I mean, I was born in 70. So, uh, and, you want and, the old guy I, to chime in here? Yeah, you probably saw some real shit, right? You saw yeah. Women and Children first or something. You I saw him on the second tour, uh, ah, 1979. Earlier. Yeah, that was the that was the second concert I ever went to. It was the so how first. old were you? Uh, and so in 1979, I would have been 14, and um, the and they played the Marin Vets Auditorium, mm. super small venue, holds about 3,000 people, and it was right around the time of the famous Fresno footage from 1979. And I talked to Michael Anthony about that many years later, and we were at Sammy's place, which is just down the road from there. And uh, I said, yeah, the first time I ever saw you guys, was right up the road, Marin Vets Auditorium. He said, no, we never played there. And I'm going, <laughs> well, no, you did, you know? And he goes, no, 
we were headlining by then. And I said, I know, but you were there and it was awesome. And he goes, no, that wasn't us. And I said, Mike, I've got the shirt, man. And he goes, okay, you might remember this better than I do. Yeah. Come on. Those, yeah. I, I, but no, it was, it was an amazing time because I, when Van Halen one dropped, I was not playing guitar and no one in my neighborhood was playing guitar. We had zero guitarists. There was one bass player. And within a year, there were at least six of us on that exact block playing guitar and forming bands. And it, for all of us, it was because of Van Halen. This was our Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show moment. And cool. it was just an incredibly exciting time. You know, I was living in Nevada, California. Mike Varney was working at the local record store. And so I'd ride my skateboard down there and, uh, and talk to him about stuff because he was the expert and, uh, and he still is. And so he'd go, who do you like? And I'm going, oh, I really like Van Halen, you know, and he goes, oh, you should check this guy out. And he opened up a brand new uh, Tokyo Tapes record. And he says, yeah, oh. this guy's name is Ulrich Roth. You should listen to him. And my mind is just blown. Wow. And, uh, and it was just so exciting. And it was a great time to be a kid learning how to play guitar because it's all anybody talked about. And the Van Halen records were the biggest thing, but there were also just epic records coming out by the Cars at that point, Aerosmith. I mean, they were just a, ACDC, a great, great time for rock guitar. And uh, but Van Halen was my favorite for sure, and that's why everyone played guitar it's, for sure. It's so funny because I started playing guitar in 1995, and the first Van Halen I heard was uh, the Balance record because it was probably written up in Guitar Player, Guitar World, or something at the time. And uh, and I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. And I could hear, especially on the solo to right now, I could really hear the blues influence. And I was a big Clapton guy. And then I went back. And somebody's like, oh, you got to check out the early stuff. And I was dumb teenager i went and probably checked out van halen one from the library or something and i'm like wow sammy sounds really different like sammy <laughs> his voice has really changed you know i had no clue what was going on and i always was kind of but i was so impressed with the guitar playing and i, and I didn't quite understand what i was hearing yet until and i just recently revisited this in 98 there is a special on vh1 or not vh1 on mtv of the band with Gary Sharon live in Australia. And they played Mean Street on there. And seeing Ed play Mean Street, the intro to Mean Street, that was like my eruption moment. Like watching him do the tapping on the intro and stuff, I was like, I see what he's doing and I hear it, but I have no idea. These, these are not connecting in my brain, you know? And it, it's so interesting because I'm of the generation that that's the Van Halen that I found. And then I had to go backwards and kind of piece everything together to see the lineage of, of everything, you know? So both of you have had the chance to uh, meet and work with Eddie. Matt, tell me about the time. Have you interviewed Eddie a couple times for? No, I never interviewed okay. him. Never had the opportunity. I always wanted to. And um, I met him just once and I was working with Seymour Duncan at the time and Seymour was winding some pickups for Ed for the, the Frankenstein replica, the, like $25,000 one. And, um, and so it was, it was incredibly exciting. You know, he showed up there and it, it just, it blew my mind. I didn't get to hang out with him much, but I did meet him and I introduced myself. He gave me a big hug. I told him I was a student of his trip and, uh, and he, he was funny. He says, you're not a student. You got 12 notes, just like I do. You can do whatever the fuck you want with them. And I laughed kind of nervously and agreed with everything that he said. And I got to watch him play 
while he was there from about three or four feet away and incredibly loud. And he just played beautifully. And it's no effects, no nothing, just him through a blazing half stack checking out pickups. And he he would know within the first couple notes whether he liked the pickup or not. Right. And so I asked him, I said, what are you what are you listening for? And he goes, the harmonics. It's all about the harmonics. And so and he was just rejecting one pickup after the next. And so I'm looking at Seymour like, can I have that one if he doesn't want it? You know, it sounded great to me. But yeah, that was it. And then, uh, you know, again, we we were able to chit chat a little bit. He came by my desk and uh, he saw an EVH phaser that was there. And, you know, they they told me like I have that Frankenstein replica that you can see hanging on my wall back there. And um, they told me like, hey, don't let him see that, you know, because it's kind of not cool, you know, to have red, white, and black striped things that he didn't get paid on. And, uh, but I, I snuck into the sound room where the real Frankenstein was and got a picture snapped of me holding mine and me holding his. <laughs> and what about you, George? You, you've, you've actually had your hands on some of the guitars, uh, huh? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I initially met him. I, I, I went to my very first NAMM show in 1991, January, you know, new to the whole music industry, working at a music store and, and somehow, and I have no idea how I, I did this, but I got tickets for the Biff Babies All-Star Jam, which included uh, Albert Lee, uh, Steve Morris, and Eddie Van Halen. And, you know, I was a freaking freak about Van Halen. So I, I must have just weaseled somehow and I got tickets. And, you know, I didn't know my way around or anything. So I was headed over to the Hilton to you know, go to the show and I, I you know, was got lost and I came in through this side entrance and I'm going down this hallway and I, I got my girl with me at the time we're walking down and the, a door opens and Ed sticks his head out and I'm just like you know I keep walking and I'm just freaking out totally freaking out so I go to the end of the hall and you know like there's a lounge area by the elevators and I sit down and I'm like oh my god I mean you know because I'm from a you know I'm from Monterey a small town so I'm just freaking and then he comes out, starts walking down the hall, walks up to me, and he's like, hey, do you know where the pisser is? I'd be like, I have no idea. And because I had no idea about Nam, you know, I literally had a Van Halen 2 record with me. And so he sat down with me and signed it, and I took a picture with him, and uh, you know, he was just delighted. And then he went off to the, the bathroom, and I hear a bunch of other people. I was just in total daze. I don't really remember much after that. I was going to ask. So that's when was, I, that's the first time I met him. What was the show like? Do you remember the show? Uh, the show was really interesting. Uh, uh, my honest opinion is, is, is Steve Morse really dominated that mm-hmm. thing because they were playing all sorts of like different kinds of music and, and tunes and stuff. And, and uh, you know, they would hit stuff where Ed would be amazing. He would play a country swing tune and fucking Albert Lee would just kill everybody. And, you know, Steve Morse could just jump around all that and, it's all I really remember about it. I was just in, you know, I was about 20 years old, just freaking out. Yeah, I was at that I'm show. seeing all this. And, and it's, I think that's a good description of it. And it was, I was just super happy to be watching Ed play. And I loved everybody there. Steve Lukather sat in that night too. Did he? I don't remember and that. It was, um, it was just a blast, but it was a thrill to see him, even though there were plenty of tunes that weren't exactly in his wheelhouse, right? And oh, so Ed would just yeah. do Ed. And then that show was famously written up in Musician Magazine, and it was a hatchet job of a of, of story. And I remember just being really mad about it. Like, this just isn't fair. And I, I, I remember some of the quotes from it where <clears throat> the interviewer 
said, he asked Steve Morse or Albert Lee, how does it make you feel when the worst solo of the night gets the most applause? And I'm just going like, oh man, you know, you get this chance to do this story on all these great guitarists and that's what you want to do. Right. And so it really bummed me out and it informed the way I wanted to write when I got my job at Guitar Player because I just thought like, well, I just don't want to do that. You know, I, 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 there's, there's enough good to go around that we really don't need to focus on that kind of stuff, even though, you know, what he said, there was some merit to it a little bit. I never would have used those, yeah. those words to describe it that way, but, but I got it, but it seemed like he, he had a little bit of an agenda with this and it was not my agenda. And I did not, I was like super right. protective of Ed and, uh, and I'm just going like, well, where do you get off saying that, you know? Right. But, uh, but yeah, it was, that was, it was a thrill to see that show. And that was back when at NAMM shows, you would actually see real rock stars. You know, it's like if Jeff Beck would be at the NAMM show and John Entwistle would be at the NAMM show and Eddie Van Halen would be at the NAMM show. Yeah, yeah nobody, I was literally, he was alone. Like, I don't know what what was going on or why he had to go to the bathroom since he had a room there. I'm like, ah, that was weird. But uh, then I started working with him uh, uh Oh God, it must have been about 2004, somewhere around that point. And uh, he had come out to line six because they had this idea, which you know never happened, but, but basically he wanted to put a, had an idea, he wanted to be able to record his ideas. But he wanted to record them with like a, an amp sound. So I, I don't even know if you'll be able to print this, but ah, fuck it. So, uh, uh, he, he wanted us, he, he brought out a, a, a mini Wolfgang guitar and he wanted us to build a pod into it. And then on top of that, like some kind of digital recorder. And granted, you know, looping wasn't at the stage it is today and digital recording was quite different. You would, you would think it's, ah, oh, that'd be easy. It was, we had to find this uh, Olympus. It was very, he was very particular about what to use too. I, I have a lot of the voicemails where he's explaining some of this shit. But so we, 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 Basically, we did that. So I went up uh, a number of times, but one time in particular where I spent the afternoon just me and him, which, you know, was uh, uh, somewhat mind altering because, uh, you know, at the time, 2004, 2005, I, I don't remember when exactly, but, um, and I, but I do remember just distinctly just talking to him going, hey, I'm all business. I'm going to make sure you get the product that you're looking for and, you know, get all this. Uh, 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 if you don't mind, you know, I'm a huge fan. So if you don't mind, can I ask questions here or there about, you know, the old times? He's like, sure. I said, I'm, I'm a total pro and I will, I will treat you like I treat my friends. And he looked at me and I said, like shit. And we laughed and we got along ever since. So I, I would throw in little tidbits like, like, hey, you know, in that guitar player magazine, you talk about watching tubes melt. And he, oh, yeah, well, you know, basically, you know, we're, I'm running the Variac, and I think it was, what is it? It was 98 volts or 89, some weird, not exact voltage, but it was it was lower. Uh, he, I'd run it low, and we would over-bias the amp. It's like, oh, okay. Everything he would say made would make logical, straightforward, working man sense. Mm. You know, I asked about, you know, the pedal board, like, oh, there's, there's an EQ on there, but it's never plugged in. He's like, oh, well, you know, you go into a room some, and it just has weird frequencies and you just want to pull them out. I'm like, oh, that makes complete sense. That's why that's there and not plugged in most of the time. So most of the gear, especially, you know, 
late 70s when they were you know just playing around town to probably the beginning of women and children first era it's still that basic rig and around women and children first he started getting the big rig dc 30 shows up and you know the, the tech start getting you know guitar techs that you know can build rigs and shit where before was that plywood board it's got a, a phase 90 on it a flanger off to the side two boxes one which is like an old tone bender and one's an old big muff or something that he's gutted to do you know amp and rig switching because he basically from my from all my research there was like three basic rigs there was a rig b rig backup rig and and you can see that I think it's on the Fresno show where he's uh, playing Eruption. He's got the, the black and white, and he just tweaks it and he sets it down. The echo plexes, or the actually it was the Unibox is doing the, and the tech hands him the the uh, uh, shark guitar, and they go into you really got me, and that other rig still going, so they switched over to the other rig. So and it was very similar. Everyone talks about it. It was like no, he went from his guitar into the flanger, into the phaser, into the echoplex, probably into the univox back in the bomb, into the amp. Yeah. It was, there was no, oh, he did this and he did that. I'm like, no, I mean, with the, like with Unchained, it's like, no, he just sat there and timed it. He listened to the, the noise of the flanger going, and then he, so he knew where the timing was. Wow. So what do you think, George, what do you think the biggest myth about Van Halen's tone is? biggest myth is that that how much gain he has because and, th and this is what i find with all the old old timey rock guys is they used light strings and they played really fucking loud mm. and it's all about playing loud they all played really loud and that's where i think the tone is and you listen to it and it's like wow that's you know it's pretty clean i mean there's gain there's distortion but it's not like this really it's it's loud is what they're really getting it from, so that yeah, that's the, it, the the one. It and, and then the big myth that everyone misses, sorry, was speakers. Like everyone misses that with Van Halen. It's like he used two different kinds of speakers in his cabinets. You can see the pictures. That's the huge part of the tone. There's, there's a DC one twenty, or D one twenty. It's a D one twenty. The old uh, uh, JBLD D one twenty, and then a Celestian Greenback. And if you get raw tracks of the first record, you can hear that. There's there's two guitar tracks. And one's that speaker and one's the other speaker. And if you listen to one individually, it's terrible. <laughs> and then you bring it in the middle, it's like, oh my God, because the you know, the JBA will give you give you that uh, the boom tinkle. So it gives you all these highs, all these lows, no mids. And the selection's giving you all the mids and the highs and lows are just crap. You know, I was gonna jump in on what you're talking Sorry. about is tone that it it really does have a tremendous amount of headroom. You know, there is, there absolutely is distortion, but there's so much dynamic range that if he would pick softer, it would clean up. There's all this clarity to it. But then it, you and I, George, have talked in the past about, um, about the pickups, right? And so a lot of, a lot of people will, they, everybody focuses on the PAF, but he, right. there are other pickups that he used in the early days, right? Weren't there showers and mighty mice? Yeah, no, and, I, and, and my, my opinion on the pickups, I guess that is, I mean, there's a many myths because there's just so much misinformation. And that's why I wanted to ask him stuff when I, when I could, I'd be like, you know, what was this for? Why'd you do that? You know, and he would tell me bits and pieces and <clears throat> I'm sure I've forgotten more than I remember. Um, but yeah, the pickup, I mean, the PAF legend, uh, this is my theory <clears throat> is 
there's pictures from the Gazari days where you can see him. He's got like a 64 strap Rosa fingerboard and there's, there's a humbucker jammed in there. I'm sure that's a PAF or a patent number sticker one, you know, uh, cause I've heard stories about that, that it wasn't a PAF. It was a patent number, which they're the same thing. It's just, it's just a little sticker. Um, but that, that's where that was at. And then, I mean, most of the first record is an Ibanez Destroyer. And Ibanez Destroyer has Super 70s pickups, which are basically a slightly overwound PAF with an Alico 8 magnet. So it's just, it's much stronger. Also, a, a Destroyer is nothing like a, a Explorer because Explorer is made of mahogany. The Destroyer is made of Japanese sen wood and maple. So you've got ash and maple. Very, very, and then a rosewood fingerboard. Very different than a mahogany mm -hmm. guitar. So you've got, it's kind of a rock machine, really. And so you listen to the first record, and most of it, anywhere there's no dive bombs, it's pretty much that. You know, the, the little tlink in Running With the Devil is, you know, behind the bridge on the Destroyer. So, and then you look at pictures of the Frankenstein through the years, and there's people that have documented all this, and you can just see he's changing the pickup, just you know, I, uh, DiMarzio Super Distortion, Schaller pickup in there. Uh, just all over the place. So the PAF, I think, is a legend of that sort of like he grabbed a PA, you know, a pickup out of a 335 from what he says, jammed it in probably that strat went, there it is. I get my wiggle stick and I get more gain. This is awesome. Mm. And then it just, it's like, I need more, I need more. Because you, you've talked to Lynch, uh, Matt, and he's kind of saying the same sort of thing at the time. They're going around all these little shops trying to figure out how to get, you know, more gain. You know, and that that was the the thing in the day, and 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 I think you know all those guys, especially I know Ed was looking at like the Almond Brothers, and I think that's where the speaker stuff came from because you look at the Almond Brothers rigs, and they've got you know uh, Serwin Vegas and JBLs with their Marshalls. They were already doing that stuff in the you know the sixties and early seventies. So uh, I think Ed was taking from a, a lot of that stuff. You know, he, he's a, he's a product of his his time with all the guitar playing. Let me ask you about the gain a little bit, because I I hear the guitar tones on Diver Down have a lot less gain to my ears than tones on Fair Warning. And so what do you know about the signal chains between those two records? Very, I mean, that's why I wish someone had done a book, because in the in the studio. Hard to say. I mean, he said he always used that amp. Um who knows what was really going on? I mean, uh, Phil X and I had this long discussion recently because we go down the Van Halen rabbit hole, you know, when we get together and it's just like, let's talk about it and gear. And he did a, a little video about Unchained. And he's really of the belief, and I, I think I agree with him, that Ed used a Les Paul on that. And, and especially, you know, from, you know, the, the, the women and children first on, and he's using all sorts of different guitars in the studio. You know, it's not all, you know, we all, have, it's sort of like, it's that same imagery we all have of Jimmy Page. He's got a Les Paul or a double neck. It's like, yeah, but... All those Led Zeppelin records are a Telecaster, <laughs> you know, and it's sort of like the Van Halen. It's like, we all, he's got the striped guitar. It's like, eh, maybe, you know, on the first record, he had that and the Destroyer and the second record, maybe there's a few more things floating around. Um, but the second record, you know, there were a lot of records were done just so fast, but you know, you see that, that picture, which is, I think women and children first era, you know, pre fair warning, you know, where he's got the picture and he's got the, the literal pickaxe in his hand and all the guitars around. You see, there's a lot of different things going on. The 335, you've got the double neck there. He's he's starting to mess around that, and that picture may be later. I, I'm not 
you know, I don't know all the pictures and the dates, but there's another picture that shows them in the studio and it's around the time of the recording of the second record, I think. And there's a Strat with a Dan Electro neck on it. And it's my opinion that that is the guitar on the intro to women in love. Cause even though he can get that tone on any right. guitar and I've seen him do it live on Frankenstein, but th th that is a Strat on the bridge right. in the middle pickup. I'm convinced. I wouldn't be surprised. And that's, that's, you know, we get in these, these mindsets of, you know, the instrument that you see them with, that's what they're using. But in reality, having all of us having even minor recording, it's like you use whatever you need to get the sound. And then live, you, you know, that's a whole nother ball game. But so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, he was playing with stuff all the time. I mean, he just was constantly noodling from everything I studied as a kid, you know, looking at all. I mean, I would, you know, What's crazy is, you know, for, for, for Matt and I, it was like, we didn't have the internet. Mm. You'd have to get Cream Magazine or Guitar Player or anywhere. I would, you know, you'd go to the library, you would go to, to, to bookstores and find stuff. And I mean, what's funny is over here, so this, this book, Matt, Matt will probably remember this book. I do. Guitar gear. There's a picture of Ed in here. I stared, I stared at this, you know, because they talk about pedal boards and this and, you know, there's a picture of Ed in here. I stared at this for, and it's black and white. I, I stared at this image. This is what's burned into my my mind is this picture mm -hmm. of Ed. You know, and it's it's not a great, you know, like you can't see a lot. I would stare at it like, man, what's he doing? Where, how, you know, just, because that's all you had. You had pictures. And, and if you were lucky to live in a big city, you know, where you could go to a show a lot. You know, I, I talked to a friend of mine who used to hang out in the Gazari day dude, you need to write a book. I'm like, you were hanging out and then he worked at the Charvel forever. I'm like, you were in the middle of this whole scene. I'm like, you're Gandalf. I'm like, you need to tell me more. <laughs> well, well, guys, this so, has been such a, such a treat. I want to wrap up with one thing and I'm going to put you both on the spot is what's the song or solo that best encompasses Eddie's playing to you as far as tone, as far as style, as far as swagger? What's the song that's at the top of your list? Uh, there's two for me. Well, there's three because there's so many different okay. things. I, I, basically, the, the three that encompass just the stuff that I love about them is off the first album, which is I'm the One, just the whole tune. Because that's where it's like, if it, you know, that's where the swing is. It's like, that's, that's the, it's got the coolest dive bomb ever near the end. And his swing is just like, it, it's, you know, it's really, it's amazing. Second one is the is the solo from uh, Out of Love, where he it's just like whoa, where'd that come from? You know, just you know, not normal. And then the 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 third really, and and this has to do with the tone is fair warning, and it's push comes the shove, and he plays this guitar solo, and there's this point where, uh, and I always I kind of point this out to people where he stops playing, and you hear him kind of just move around for a second, and you can hear how rough the guitar tone really is and this is sort of where i i kind of call it it's like you know the why volume's so important it's like you're riding the dragon and you just hear it like do this like crunchy thing these just really big grains of distortion it's not smooth and clear and but it's just like whoa what's going on there and that really to me like and it's just like a second then it'll go and he goes into a run and and it's just like wow it, it sounds like he's playing you know through this the smoothest of game distortions, but when you really hear it, it it's just not. He's playing just ridiculously loud, mm -hmm. and that's all coming from just 
controlling it. And, that, and that's a thing I think people don't understand is how hard it is to play loud because loud means you can't make a mistake. Mm. It means you've got to control the dragon. And it's just, it's, it scares the hell out of me. When I play loud now, it's like, oh God, it's like, a, you know, any little movement becomes incredibly loud. So, but there'll be those three. It's, I, I'm the one really is what I studied. It's the one where when I was up there one time, uh, right before the, the, uh, the, what is it, the 5153 with Fender and the Wolfgang with Fender guitars came out. We were up there. I guess we were working on the wall. I don't remember. It's up there and they were working on the, the Frankie. So maybe it was a little later. Um, and Chip Ellis was in the other room. And so we had finished up. My guys left. I'm like, Ed, can I, can I hang? Can I play the, the new rig? He's like, yeah. So he runs off to go in, the, in another room to, to work with Chip. And I'm playing it and checking it out. And so I'm looking around going, okay. He's not here. So I start playing on the one. He's do the beginning and I do that first descending run. He comes running into the room. You're playing that wrong. And I just, you know, whoa. <laughs> and somehow I got the courage immediately and just went, well, how do you play it? And he came around and showed me how to play it. So I, I know how to play that descending run, run correct. I may not play it right all the time because of my poor skills, but I know the position and everything it's cheap that, that mirrors and i was playing it wrong that mirrors an exact story that dweezel told me um that when he was 12 playing with his high school band that's how he learned how to play running with the devil correctly is eddie came up behind him dweezel still had the guitar on and eddie played it for him right yeah yeah i was just like oh shit he's showing me how to pull my god and, and i'm i'm glad i remembered <laughs> what he showed me because you know it, I, and i had to practice because i had just i'd learned that for so long and i played these two uh last notes of it wrong that it was just you know it was ingrained so it's it, even to this day sometimes the wrong way will pop out You're like oh shit doing that wrong what about you matt god how am i gonna I follow that story <laughs> um i wish i would have gone first <laughs> Uh, but no, well, those just switch are, it around. He can switch those, it around in the interview. Maybe. Yeah. We'll edit it. Um, the, uh, those are great choices and you stole a little bit of my thunder because I could easily go with, I'm the one and it's, it might be my favorite solo from him. It's in the top two, but I'm going to say my favorite Van Halen song of all time is hear about it later. Mm. And for favorite solo, I'm going to go with, so this is love. Because mm. that swings as hard as anything in the catalog for me. And it's just such a fun, happy solo. It's got a little bit of everything. You've got a little bit of blues. You've got a little bit of his sort of Holdsworthy thing. And then you just have that reckless abandon and unbridled joy. That's what that solo sounds like. That whole song sounds that way to me. And so I just, you know, I love it. It was, I remember exactly where I was when the record came out and how I felt back then. And it was just, yeah, just an incredible time. And I love that. And then I will say my favorite Eddie Van Halen clean tone is also my favorite clean tone of all time. And that's the women in love intro that I just think mm. that's a magical, magical sound. And when he did it in, on the 79 tour, I'm there. I hadn't been playing guitar long at all. And I just didn't understand what was going on because I was all the way in the back, even though it was a small venue. And it just looked like he was pointing at the guitar. He was pointing <laughs> at the guitar 
and these chimes are coming out and I'm just going like, okay, well, this guy is just a magician. He can do anything. All he has to do is point at the guitar and that's what it sounds like. And so that one, I, I, it makes me happy every single time I hear it and I've heard it 1.5 million times, I think. And I, I celebrate it every time. I look forward to every note in that intro. And, and it's funny. And that, that same night, the um, Out of Love Again solo just blew my mind because it was exactly like the record. You have that ding, bop. It is so cool. And I'm glad you mentioned When Push Comes to Shove because Steve Vai talked about that in a guitar player interview. Like the, when I first was getting hit to Steve Vai and he just said, I don't know if he said it was his favorite solo, but it was the one that he mentioned where he just said like, this is a great solo right there. Well, and Fair Warning is just such a great, I, I mean, I don't have a favorite record, but it's really between two and Fair Warning. Yeah. And so those are in my top three for me. In order, uh, it's Fair Warning. <laughs> Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, Diver Down, no, sorry, 1984, Diver Down, and Women and Children first. <clears throat> and so people go like, how can you put Women and Children first last? And I'm going, hey, one of those first six records has to come last. And like, you know, <laughs> I love it, you know, but it's just, and I think the reason is because I was so into the unaccompanied solos. And so you have Eruption, you have Spanish Fly, then you have Women and Children first, where you really don't get that moment exactly. And mm. then Fair Warning came out and you not only get it, they start the record with it. And so it's like coming home again, you know? And, uh, but no, I love them all. And I love uh, the Sammy Era stuff too. It's just, you, you can never go back to the first, your first love, you know? Well, and, different stuff. It's and just, it's different stuff. I, and it's, I, it's I just split them, you know, like I don't say one's better. It's, you know? um, but it's for me, those are the ones and in that order. And so, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again, guys, for, for hopping in on, on short notice and sharing some stories and some thoughts about Eddie and, uh, and we'll be in touch and we'll, we'll talk to you guys next time.